As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey folks, Joe Lowry here. On the tail end of today's episode of The Big Thing, we're going to be bringing you an excerpt from The Athletic's new narrative podcast called From Kuva to Qatar. The podcast details the failure of the last World Cup cycle, this U.S. team's path to qualifying, and what we can expect from them in Qatar. In the clip that we'll play, Paul and Sam get into the basics of the team and their present identity ahead of the World Cup. So check back after the big thing to listen in. Now, on to the show. the big thing the weekly show where we sink our teeth into a topic that's dominating the soccer news cycle and in american soccer there's nothing bigger right now than the climax of the major league soccer season yes it's mls cup time which will be brought which will be fought between lafc and the philadelphia union at the stadium with a wonderful atmosphere and substandard parking options yes it's bank of california (laughs) stadium in los angeles this is the 27th edition of mls cup it's the top seeds in the east and the west who've had eventful recent matchups will this be the best MLS Cup final evs joining me to uh, discuss that and much much more we have Mr. Taylor Rockwell hello hello I will discuss that but I refuse to use the abbreviation evs <laughs> correct that one okay. yes that one I totes understand uh, Graham <laughs> Brothman hello Hello, Ryan Bailey. I can't quite believe that this parking discussion has genuinely become a big storyline before this game. It feels like you manifested this in, <laughs> into being. I certainly did. It's not a big storyline. It's the biggest storyline, which is kind of tragic <laughs> in its own way, Graham. Yeah, that's what this whole episode is going to be about, actually. That is the big thing. We're just going to talk about parking for 45 minutes. Oh, that sounds like my fantasy episode. Joe Lowry, you're joining us also. You shall be indulging in this fiasco uh, as you're heading to California, right? Yes, I shall. And I I shan't be parking, apparently, as we've all learned (laughs) over uh, the last few days. USC football game, I guess, taking priority over a soccer game. Who who could have imagined that? Not, Mm. Not me, right? Certainly not me. I, uh, I'm not sure if you're planning to actually drive, Joe, but perhaps the best transport solution would be to, uh, as your flight, if you're going to fly, get your flight and then like parachute in. Maybe that will work. There are a few cooler ways to hop into MLS Cup than mm. that. If I could just hop in and sort of land, I'm assuming there's going to be a giant inflatable trophy like there was in Portland last year. If I could just sort of schedule my flight 
to drop me down right on top of that trophy as a soft landing, then I can just hop up in the press box and the game can start whenever I'm ready. Did, did I see the LAFC? They have a falcon at games, right? They let that, that thing fly around the stadium. Maybe they could just get the falcon to kind of fly people into the stadium, like, you know, have them under a rope underneath the falcon and, mm-hmm. and just kind of have three or four fans hanging onto the rope and just getting dangled into the stadium. That, that, that yeah. would work. I like that, it, frankly. I like it. It would test the limits of falconry, but I think um, certainly worth trying, Graham. Excellent stuff. Um, this has got to be a record for episodes going off the rails. <laughs> Let's bring it right back on with some live show promos, shall we? We've got a live show coming up on November 20th uh, in Brooklyn, New York. Please come and join us. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've been talking a lot. We're planning a lot for this show. It's going to be awesome. And we've got a special little offer here, haven't we, Taylor? We're going to say we're going to give two tickets out to any listener who correctly predicts both the score and the goal scorers of MLS Cup. What do you think, Taylor? Does that sound good? It does. Uh, we would prefer people who apply who maybe can actually go to to the event or know someone who wants to go, and then you can give them those tickets. But yeah, if, if you're going to be in the area, if you wanted to attend, uh, then yes, correct the sc- uh, correctly guess the score and the goal scorers. Uh, email it to us, tweet it to us, and uh, the winner will get some tickets. Do we know if Jamie Carragher and Michael Richards will still be in Brooklyn by the time our uh, live show happens? Yeah, still looking for the potato. Maybe they can come along. Yeah, they're still stuck. (laughs) Yeah, they're still ordering a a bacon, egg and cheese. (laughs) Excellent stuff. Yes, do get in touch uh, if you want to play that fun little game and we will uh, uh, send out tickets accordingly. Unless you're a scalper. Don't apply if you're a scalper. We don't want to give them to you (laughs) in that instance. Um, This final um, should be, it's, it's, it's teed up to be an excellent final for the reasons we've outlined in the intro. Finals themselves, not traditionally free-flowing goal fest, though. Maybe this one will be different, though. The last two matchups between these two sides were 2-2 and 3-3. Let's get into how we think the game is going to go after we've previewed the two sides. Let us start with the hosts, Los Angeles FC. Joe Lowry, uh, this is a team with many, many strengths. Tell us about them. So I'll start in the attack with LAFC, which I think is kind of where you have to start when you're looking at least at the players who are going to be involved in this game. LAFC have a bunch of attacking talent. There's names that that everybody's going to know, right? There's Carlos Vela, who's likely going to start on the right side of this game. There's Gareth Bale, who maybe won't even play in this game because he's been dealing with with, just trying to get back to fitness and and I guess is not really interested in trying to get hurt before the World Cup. (laughs) It's been been a great little story. He's been been dealing with with golf and wanting to play for Wales. He's been dealing with his scorecard (laughs) and his handicap. There is Gareth Bale involved in this game. Um, But the other two attacking names for LAFC that I wanted to highlight right off the bat are Dennis Bowanga, who LAFC signed in the summer from San Etienne in Ligue 1, or, or had been recently relegated, I believe, from Ligue 1. And then Chicho Arango, number nine, Chicho Arango, goal scorer, can slip in behind, has really good physicality as well. He'll get in the scrap. And then Bowanga is, is kind of similar. He's not the fastest player in terms of straight line speed, but he has great strength, good technical ability, and has been dangerous in the postseason. He scored some goals. He's looked really, really good. That front three is alongside probably Toronto's front three, even though they didn't make the playoffs, the best in Major League Soccer. LFC have so much attacking talent, and it's going to put pressure on Philadelphia to figure out how mm. to manage that, how do they balance, how do they control the midfield. LAFC's attacking strength makes life difficult, or will make life difficult, I believe, yeah. for the Philadelphia Union. And one of the most impressive things about the way LAFC have played this season, for me anyway, is just how Steve Trundolo has... He inherited a pretty good base with what Bob Bradley left behind at the end of last season, but it very much felt like that was the end of a cycle for LAFC. And I think a lot of people expected Trundle to come in and completely rebuild that team. 
And obviously he that's not what happened. Instead, he, he's still using a lot of the same tactical framework that Bradley left over in terms of having a, a proactive attack-minded team. But he's he's revitalized it. And given that attack, just fresh energy. And as you say, Joe, they just have so many excellent attackers that even if one or two of them have an off day, there's probably going to be another guy who uh, who steps up. And, and, and the way that they play, it just when you compare it to last season and the energy kind of being sapped out of that team, I just think it's very impressive that Chirundolo has, yes, he's added a couple of players. You mentioned Boanga there, Joe, being added in the summer. Brian Rodriguez also leaving the, the club in the summer. So a bit of turnover there. But by and large, a very similar group to last season. And yet he's managed to get that intensity and that concentration back in, into their play. And I, I just find that very impressive and a good sign of Chirundolo's uh, coaching ability and his ability to, to lead a group. Excellent stuff. Taylor, uh, any more strengths or do you want to head on to weaknesses for LAFC? I think I would love to hear about some weaknesses. Let's do it. Joe, what do you think? Oh, okay. God, I thought Taylor was about to give us some weaknesses. <laughs> I'm really enjoying Joe breaking it all down and then I can chime in with stuff after Joe breaks it all down. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So in terms of weaknesses, I mentioned how good LAFC is, how deep they are in the attack, right? I mentioned the, the starting front three likely. I mentioned Gareth Bale. They also have a Poku who's a really good sort of change of pace option off the bench. They're really deep in that area. One thing that they're almost weirdly not as great at, they're still good at it, but they're not like exceptional at it, is breaking a really compact team down. And this is, again, to think about how this game is going to play out, a really interesting dynamic that we could see against the Philadelphia Union. Are Philly going to pack it in? Are they going to be stretched? Because I think if you're stretched, LAFC can beat you, right? They're great at attacking off of second balls. They're, I think, I believe, the best team in MLS this year at creating chances in transition. So they're going to beat you that way. But if you defend a little bit deeper, if you compress space in key areas, they're not elite at breaking teams down with the ball. Their attacking talent would much rather attack in space when the space is created for them instead of them having to create the space. That's not to say that they can't create chances in those situations, but if I'm Philadelphia, I am, I'm really thinking about trying to go back to what Ryan said earlier in this show to make this kind of a classic final to gum up the works a little bit because I think that's a, a pretty good way to beat LAFC. There are other ways, and we'll talk about that later when we get to Philadelphia, but LAFC, not the best in MLS at breaking a, a really good, compact, disciplined team down. Joe, one other thing for me in reading about this game uh, is the fitness of Giorgio Chiellini, who I'm assuming makes that team better. Ooh. Ryan, you might want to hear about it for this conversation. Uh, Chiellini makes it makes that defense better, but could only go uh, one half against Austin. Uh, if he's not able to go, how big of a drop-off is it to Sebastian Ibiaga? And I know that sounds like a silly question to ask, like, is, is Giorgio Chiellini good? But I, I'm just wondering, like, do you no. think that will be an area of concern for LAFC? <laughs> A little bit, yeah. I mean, so LAFC have dealt with center back injuries all year. I I have not seen or read or heard that Chiellini is injured from what they said on the broadcast uh, over the weekend. He was subbed off for some sort of tactical reason, and, and maybe that is simply because Chiellini is old and kind of slow at this point. He's really good at a lot of stuff still. His timing is great. His passing is phenomenal. But he doesn't have the open field speed that even someone like Sebastian Ibiaga has. I don't think Ibiaga is a particularly good center back. He's a good fourth or fifth center back. He's not really someone you want starting an MLS Cup. Chiellini is is a guy, like I said, that has his risks that come along with him. One being Ryan might just rush onto Bank of California Stadium's field and sabotage the whole game if he starts. Uh -huh. I, I think there are risks here, but if Chiellini is ready to go, you have to play him in this game. Okay. You absolutely have to. Maybe they'll change their shape. Maybe they'll do something, but... 
Chiellini versus Ibiaga is a discussion in certain areas, but overall, yeah, you, you got to go with Chiellini. If the answer is just I don't know, then the answer is just I don't know. But the Chiellini thing, I'm just very confused by because you're right. Uh, like I think uh, Doyle wrote about it as uh, Chiellini only made it to halftime of the respective conference final. Uh, if he can't go for LAFC, and 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 that seems to be the prevailing idea behind it is like he might not be able to make it the full game. He only might be able to make it 45 minutes. Is that just age? Is it a specific thing that LAFC do what what do you think it is that's keeping him from being able to go 80 minutes or so yeah he old I mean he's played 90 minutes several times this season but he doesn't (laughs) usually play 90 minutes in back-to-back games he's 38 right I mean LAFC want to play this aggressive up-tempo style Chiellini is not like defending in in a low block for hours and hours where he doesn't really have to move that much He's having to step. He's having to do a lot of that stuff. I, I, I think he should be able to go. This is not any inside info. But after playing 45 against Austin, maybe that's like a minutes management thing. Mm. And it was tactical with Terundula making a bet that Ibiago would be good enough to get them to MLS Cup. That feels risky to me. But yeah. I, I think Chiellini's got to go in this game if he can. I mean, maybe there's something that LFC haven't told folks about Chiellini's injury status. Maybe there is something there. But yeah, he's, he's old, I think, is the major reason, Taylor. <laughs> I mean... I don't love being told that he's old when I myself am 38, but I hear your point. I hear your point. <laughs> there is there is mean. a slight difference between a professional soccer player and a professional soccer podcaster on the fitness side, but I, yeah, I, I do take your yeah. point. A, a guy on my team did tell me he's watching the uh, the Mighty Ducks remake, and apparently a character in there says, uh, like, I, I have I have a podcast body or the body of a podcaster, not the body <laughs> of an athlete. I didn't love that either. It's, it feels like double shots at me in the last 12 hours. Joe, I, I get the, the the minute management thing for Chiellini, but what if LAFC are in a moment where they need someone to horse collar or to deliver <laughs> handball or to steal a charged lolly from the uh, crowd? What, what do they do then? I mean, I think they turn to Kellen Acosta, who frankly I think has a lot of that same Chiellini energy. Taylor, I don't know if you remember... In, I think it was the Gold Cup last summer, Kellen Acosta was like scuffing the penalty spot. He was jawing at penalty takers. He was doing everything he could to dive into the dark arts. Ryan, Kellen Acosta might just be the perfect Chiellini understudy. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Uh, Joe, anything else about LAFC we should be aware of before we uh, turn, turn attentions to Philadelphia? Uh, Jose Cifuentes is one, one player that I wanted to mention here. He is... I think the best number eight. Nah, okay, Ricky Puj is in the league now. He is one of the top two number eights in Major League Soccer. He'll be at the World Cup with Ecuador. Watch him in this game. He's number 20. He's going to be everywhere. He's key to LAFC's high press. I wrote about that for Backheel earlier this week. He is a phenomenal player. I think he could be one of the biggest winners at the World Cup later this month and into December if, if Ecuador make any sort of run. He's that good, and he probably should be playing in the Premier League before too long. So watch Jose Cifuentes. He'll be probably on the right side of central midfield for LAFC. He is awesome. Wonderful stuff. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about the contenders, the Philadelphia Union, back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our big thing, MLS Cup Spesh. I have abbreviated special now, Taylor. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I just can't be stopped. Um, let's talk. <laughs> Graham, uh, let's talk about their strengths. Uh, by mm. the way, Graham, I, I consider you and Jim Curtin as the premier hoodie wearers in the soccer sphere. Okay, I mean, he also wears, I think, a Prada jacket, which very much feels not my brand mm-hmm. uh, at all. Uh, <laughs> but, okay, yeah, hoodies, I, I like a hoodie. Jim Curtin likes a hoodie. I think he knows a lot more about how to set up a, a good team, uh, more more so than, than me anyway, and he certainly has set up a good team this season. Philadelphia Union, you can make a, a strong argument that they are the, the, the most complete team in MLS at, at the moment. Or certainly over the regular season, they had the strongest defensive record and the strongest attacking record, which is 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 a good formula for for a winning team. And and what I love about the Philadelphia Union um, and this matchup that we'll get on on Saturday, and I wrote a piece for Fubo about the Philadelphia Union before the start of, of 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 the playoffs. And this is kind of the route I went down. How this team is a reflection of Jim Curtin, both as a coach but also as a personality, and then also just a reflection of some of the stereotypical values of, of Philadelphia. And I think with LAFC, you get kind of the glamour and and the shiny stuff of Hollywood and 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 South California. And then this Philly team is just like a little bit tougher, and they work hard for each other. And the team isn't full of household names, um, but they are more of the the more than the sum of their parts. And and actually, I think Jim Curtin is Philly's greatest strength, um, and I love the way that he's built and built at the union over, over, over so many years. It hasn't always been smooth sailing. So by his own admission, I was reading an athletic interview from a couple of years ago. By his own admission, he came pretty close to the sack four seasons ago. There was a, a game in, in Montreal where he thinks if, if Philly had lost that game, he probably would have been sacked afterwards. But obviously... Philly win that game and then the last three years it's just it's just it just feels like Philly have been building to this point so they were the shield winners in 2020 they were second seeds in the east last season they looked very good until the the conference final against NYCFC who obviously beat them and then went on to win MLS Cup for that game Philly had 11 players out through COVID they get revenge over NYCFC in, in, in the conference final this year they're into MLS Cup and it just feels like they went away they got even stronger and it feels like, to me anyway, it feels like Philly are, are really ready to, to win the big trophy. And, and as I say, it feels like the, there's a strong argument they are the most complete uh, team in MLS at the moment. I think we've seen control from them in the playoff matches that they've played. They have been tested. But to me, the most encouraging thing about the Union is it, it feels like this team still has more in the tank. And that would be encouraging for me if I was a Union fan. I think this team has another level. Um, where am I complete team argument falls down a little bit is that LAFC I think are more capable of constructing intricate passing sequences and I'm, I'm not sure if Philly have that to the same extent extent they they do have uh, LAFC I'm talking about here they have the option to go direct as well as, as they did against Austin so there's similarities and some overlap between the two teams there as well but you just go through this Philly team and their strength in pretty much every area of the pitch. You know, I think they've got one of the best centre-back pairings in the league in the form of Glesnes and, and Jack Elliott. They have Andre Blake as the goalkeeper behind them. Martinez is one of the best in, in the league at the base of the midfield. Kai Wagner Wagner is, is probably off to the Premier League or Europe in the off-season. He's very good. And then there's there's that front three that they have where really that is the, the creative and the goal-scoring hub. Obviously, the, the star for them this season has been Daniel Gazdag, who, who finishes the regular season on, on 22 goals. And it kind of feels like if Philly are going to win this game, then he's he's maybe the one that's going to come up with something. LAFC maybe not giving up many opportunities, so it might be a, sh- a shot from the edge of the box, which Gaz- Gazdag is, is very good at. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing how the Philadelphia Union play. I kind of 
lean slightly more towards Philly's story under Jim Curtin of building over a number of years and having a guy in charge who's been there for eight years. He's the second longest serving coach in, in MLS behind Peter, Peter Vermees at the moment. So I kind of like that story. I know Chirundolo's got his own story, but it's kind of his first season in, in MLS. I personally would like to see Philly get their, their moment of culmination with uh, with Jim Curtin in charge. Yeah, Grams, you mentioned Daniel Gazdag there, and you had a lot of really good insight in that in that bit. Daniel Gazdag could be a key player in this game. So he's their number 10 in their 4-4-2 diamond, Hungarian international. He's not this classic, freewheeling, creative number 10. When you think of number 10s in Major League Soccer, you think of players like Lucho Acosta or Emmanuel Reynoso, who are drifting everywhere, and MLS is still sort of the league of this classic, freewheeling number 10 still. Gazdag is is not that. He is a Philadelphia Union number 10 through and through. He's in your face. He's pressuring you. And and one thing that he does that I think could come in to play in this game is he makes a ton of runs. He's always moving in possession. He exploits space so well to move in behind at just the right moment. I, I looked at the data earlier this week for Second Spectrum, and he's in the 95th percentile, Gazdag, in runs per game in MLS this year. And, and his runs oftentimes turn into good stuff for the union. The, uh, he's in the 96th percentile and runs per game in possessions that end with a shot. So that means, or at least there's there's some sort of connection there likely between Gazdog's movement, his vertical ability to get him behind and, and really disrupt the opposing back line and the union's attacking efficiency, right? So there's something to be said for Gazdog and his ability to be this much more modern, aggressive number 10 and, and how that helps the union. One other player that you mentioned as well, Graham, that is probably the biggest X factor in this game is Andre Blake, who is uh, the most valuable player in this match based off of how he actually changes games. He uh, he won goalkeeper of the year. And we talked about Andre Blake recently on this show. He's a phenomenal shot stopper and, and his ability to keep balls out of the back of the net with LAFC's attacking firepower could be absolutely massive in this game. Joe, um, <clears throat> stick with Andre Blake. We talked about him in the weekend review, just that he was, I think for me, a, a key difference maker for them in that win over NYCFC because obviously makes the saves we've come to expect, but also I think was the one who most recognized when City went up, oh, like they are trying to slow this down. They are trying to frustrate. They're going to do, do some of the housery. And I think he was the one who kept pulling his teammates out of that uh, and really making clear like, hey, we've got to refocus. And I think having that presence in goal that can make those saves and keep things level, but then also help kind of structure the team, keep them going. There's just there's a, there's there's just a level of comfort there that I think is going to be necessary because it also seems pretty pretty unlikely that Alejandro Bedoya is going to be able to go, and that midfield three has been so important in the way they want to play, the way they're able to kind of shield that back line, but then facilitate attacking play and that direct attacking play. I'm assuming that means it will be Jack McGlynn. Is that a considerable downgrade over Alejandro Bedoya, Joe? It is in, in terms of leadership, right? Bedoya is the guy you want on the field for the intangibles. And, and I don't know if he's going to be able to play or not. He was able to go for the first half of the, the conference final. That's good news for the union, but I, I don't know what that's going to look like. Bedoya is the energy guy. He's setting the tone in so many ways in the locker room and on the field. Jack, Mal- Jack McGlynn is a great player. He's not Alejandro Bedoya in, in terms of his experience or in terms of his playing style. He is like... A, Almost more of a Regista, deep-lying kind of midfielder. He'll play as a number eight, as a shuttler in, in this diamond. But he is not as dynamic. He's not as capable in the press. He brings other things, right? He is maybe a guy, along with Gazdag in certain ways, who can help the Union break through LAFC. Maybe LAFC try to flip the script in this match, and they sit a little bit deeper and, and dare the Union to break them down. That's not something the Union are, are really great at either. But with someone like Jack McGlynn on the field, they become a lot more dangerous in that way. So 
there's there's advantages there, Taylor, but in, in general, I think that one hurts the union if Bedoya can't go. Um, Joe, uh, this this Philly team has, Philly team has rightly been described as a very complete team and a very exciting team. If they do have any shortcomings, what what do you think the key ones would be? Yeah, Bedoya's potential injury could could be there. The other main thing, like I said with LAFC, is they're not great at breaking teams down, right? If you're going to sit a little bit deeper, and that's what I just mentioned with LAFC, if, if you're going to sit deeper, they're not uh, they're not elite at, at breaking through you either. I would say LAFC are, are better at that than the Union, but both teams are somewhat limited in that way. I wrote earlier this week for, for Backfield, basically this game for me is about losing the ball in good spots or just not losing the ball. Both teams love to force turnovers, and they love to run right down your throat after after they win the ball and, and create something off of those moments. LAFC are fifth in the league this year in turnovers forced per game. The Union are sixth, and they are the two top teams in terms of creating chances from those moments. Both teams want to play in open space. They want to go at each other in transition. The Union, I think, will be... The Union will have trouble if they have to really break down LAFC, or at least they could. That, for me, is, is probably the biggest weakness for this team, other than maybe some personnel stuff, depending on who can go. I think that overlap, Joe, that you mentioned, not just between the strengths of the two teams, but also the weaknesses of the two teams makes this this matchup quite interesting. Or rather, yeah. it could make this it could make this matchup quite interesting. Um, so both LAFC and the Union, as you've mentioned, they're better when they're allowed to be vertical, when they're allowed to exploit, exploit space and behind and in the channels. If either of those two teams um, gums up the center of the pitch, then you know it's kind of inviting the pressure on top of themselves. So I, th- I think the best case scenario is that we get a best a basketball match where both teams are just allowing the other to play their natural game and they just sort of duke it out to see who is better at that stuff. The worst case scenario is that they both go pragmatic and we have a match where neither team is allowed to play their natural game and they both try and gum it up. That that could actually still create some interesting moments and in, and you know quick transition and and, and encounter. But there's a risk that they kind of just cancel each other out. So I think that, I think that overlap, um, as I say, could make it interesting, but equally could make it uh, a little bit of a dull watch. Yeah, and if we're talking about interesting matchups and narratives in this game, one other thing I want to go back to that's that's off the field before we dive any further into sort of what we might see or wherever Ryan wants to take us is, you mentioned Jim Curtin as kind of the key man for the union. I think a lot of ways that's true. One other key person for the Philadelphia Union is Ernst Tanner, who is their general manager. He and John Thorrington have built two of the most interesting and, and the best and almost more opposite rosters in all of Major League Soccer. LAFC have spent a lot of money this year. They signed Gareth Bale earlier in the year, which was a, a huge surprise. And sort of in the aftermath of that, Ernst Tanner insinuated that John Thorrington, who's, who's LAFC's chief soccer officer, he sort of insinuated that John Thorrington and LAFC may have bent some rules and maybe more than bent rules. He basically insinuated that they were cheating and said, you know, innocent until proven guilty. But Bale made $35 million before paying taxes in, in Real Madrid. Why would he take this tax cut? That, that's a paraphrase of what he said. So you have this, this battle almost between the, the two people who have helped build these teams into what they are and, and build them into MLS Cup and Supporter Shield contenders. And then you've Ernst Tanner, who talked to Tom Bogert uh, recently. This article was published on MLSsoccer.com. And you have Ernst Tanner saying, I mean, going out and buying players for 15 to $20 million, I don't know where the fun is. That's never been my goal. That's a quote from, from Tom's piece. Tanner likes building these, these budget operations. And, and the union don't spend a lot of money on their salaries. They spend almost nothing, especially compared to LAFC. These two teams have taken drastically different approaches in building their squads. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of love between the two people that have built them. I'm curious to see 
you know, if the union can really reward themselves for playing this game kind of smarter and on a budget better than anybody mm-hmm. else. Philadelphia Union have the fourth. This might actually be slightly out of date because the article I'm looking at is from March of this year, and I think there's been a, a public salary yeah. release since then. They're second. They're second from bottom. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So they've actually gone down. So this list that I've, <laughs> I've, I've got has them fourth from bottom, and now they're second from bottom. I mean, that is incredible. In wages. Managed to in wages. To be clear, I don't think we ever yes, said that. In wages. Right. In wages. Yes. Yeah. That's still incredible that they've managed to, to build such a good team. And not just, you know, this isn't just flash in the pan stuff. As I've already said, this is sustained success over two, three seasons under Jim Curtin. That, 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 is, an, that is an incredible job. And it is, it also to give credit to LAFC, in MLS, there is no correlation. There is no statistically significant correlation. I ran the numbers myself, but other people have done it too. Between spending on your roster, so so wages that you're giving to your players, and success. Toronto FC spent like $33 million on their salary this year, and they missed the playoffs. The LA Galaxy spent $27 million on their salary, and they they didn't make it this far. Miami, Atlanta, Chicago, those teams were 3, 4, and 5 in that list. And Miami was the only one of the three to make the playoffs, and they just sort of snuck in. LAFC was sixth on that list. They spent 19. So that's a, a far cry from Toronto, $14 million in difference from the top, or $13 million with 32 to 19. But, I mean, there's a there's a lot of credit that I think LAFC deserve for going out and, and spending big money, both on transfer fees and on salaries, but actually doing it for the most part wisely. I think there's a, a ton of value in that. They deserve credit as well for bringing some of these bigger names into the league and for making this matchup into the exciting one that it is. But yeah, you really couldn't ask for much more of a contrast in terms of how these squads have been built than LAFC in the Union. No correlation between spending and performance in this league, and yet you still said Charlotte would finish bottom of the conference, Joe. Yeah, that's because they didn't sign a lot of good players, mostly, is why I said that. <laughs> that was the perfect answer to my uh, goading question. Well done, Joe. Um, Thank you. Taylor, I enjoyed any- that. <laughs> anything, <laughs> anything else to add for the union? Uh, you haven't made any Always Sunny references yet. Uh, is everything okay? I mean, I, I'm thinking about it because I, I just think this is, uh, I know we're going to get a little bit later to is this like the best MLS Cup matchup. And I, and that is meant to be about like the quality of these two teams. And I think the identity of these two teams factors into that conversation as well because it is LAFC, lest we forget, formerly Chivas, but I think they have than everything they possibly can to to cut ties with that whole history. And so LAFC, as they have existed, have been very successful with a lot of money and a lot of star power and very good branding and marketing and all that good stuff. And the union for so long were the opposite of that. And for them to have kind of built this team that is so... Talented, certainly, but scrappy, and they fight, and and they are they are hard fought team that feels very representative of Philly to me, and so I think like there there's a lot of like uh, morale, I like strong morale, strong team chemistry in that team for Philadelphia, certainly for LAFC as well, but I think. The identities of those two teams so closely mirror the identities of the cities they're from that it feels like another like intangible thing that makes this that much more fun. So that really has me excited, as does everything Joe has said. I was so excited for this episode to basically just get to listen to Joe break down both of these teams as he is very good at doing and then think about what those little differences could be and how we could see some nuances or wrinkles. Or if we don't, then we know the way the game is going. So I think it's going to be a really fascinating one. Absolutely. Agreed. Uh, Let's talk more about that after this quick break. We're going to talk about how this game's going to go and make some predictions because that always goes well. Back shortly. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our big thing. We are talking about MLS Cup LAFC against Philadelphia. This one's happening uh, 4 p.m. Eastern on Saturday on Fox. The last one before it goes to Apple. Ooh. I don't know if that's significant or not. I just thought I'd say. Um, <laughs> Joe, what, what do you think about the flow of this game? How do you see it panning out? I mean, we've we obviously got two very talented sides who, who both have uh, uh, significant strengths. And we have a, a record between these two sides where they've had score draws and entertaining games in the past. So how do you see this one? Um, how, the, the chips falling in, in, yeah. in the stadium here. I do see LAFC coming out and controlling the game. They, they controlled a lot of the match in terms of possession back when these two teams met to a 2-2 draw at Bank of California Stadium in May, I believe it was. They controlled a lot of that game. I think playing at home in MLS Cup in front of mostly your fans, they're probably going to have to do something similar. I think they're going to want to do something similar as well. Sharondolo likes to control games more than Curtin does. I don't think he's absolutely in love with that idea, but I think there are, there are levels to this, and I think LAFC will come out as the protagonist in this game, which is kind of what the Union wanted. So it's going to be fascinating in that way because I think the Union are fighting an uphill battle away from home against a team that is really talented and excellent and and just beat them to the supporter shield. I think that's what Philly wants. So maybe that tips the balance slightly in the Union's favor, but we have seen LAFC be dangerous for for stretches in possession. I think that's how this game's going to start. A goal could completely change the makeup of what this looks like. But from where I sit right now, at least, I think LAFC will try to get on top early and then have you know whatever contingency plans in place if X, Y, or Z happens from there. If they score, if the Union score, if there's a card of some kind, I think those are the moments that are going to change this game from, the, from that initial script. 2015 was the last time that an away team won MLS Cup in 90, in 90 minutes. So obviously there's been teams that won in, in, in shootout, shootouts, obviously last year being a prime example, NYCFC winning in, in Portland. But talking about in regulation time, 2015 was, was the last time that that happened. So in that sense, the odds are, are kind of against the, the Philadelphia Union and it's very much an advantage. I mean, this is obviously, this is stating the obvious, but it's an advantage to host this game in front of your, your own fans. And, and I think LAFC... I agree with Joe. I think they'll surely look to, to take the, the game to Philly. I think Philly, as the away team, and also just down to their approach under under Curtin, they, they'll probably feel a little bit more comfortable being more pragmatic than LAFC, but they will also need to open up at, at, at points as well. And I'm, I'm looking for the very quick switch that Philadelphia Union to, to the opposite side. So they bring possession over to one side of the pitch. They create space for um, the, the fullback normally on the other side of the pitch. And, and that is maybe how they get through LAFC, if they're finding it difficult to break them down, those switches are, are have been a, a key 
aspect of a key feature of their of their play under Jim Curtin. So I'll, I'll be looking for that. In terms of what I want to see, I just want to see the big players produce. I want to see the guys like Vela and Sifuentes and Gazdag and, and 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 Blake. I want a match where it feels like we really get a showcase of, of MLS at its best. And even if it is a bit stodgy and cagey at points, I want to feel like we're watching a high-quality match between two high-quality teams because, as we've seen over the whole season, that's what these two teams are. They are indeed. Taylor, is that the flow you see in this one? Yeah, it absolutely is. And I'm I'm excited for that because I think LAFC's atmosphere is always just so, so strong in my mind. I, I would love to hear if Joe disagrees with me on this one, but I think sometimes when you have a really boisterous rowdy atmosphere if things aren't going well that can turn and it can sort of like uh build that pressure up in a negative way i don't think that's how that will go here that's what i would love to hear joe talk about so to me i think it it is the union having license to to be more pragmatic and and just try to frustrate and then play their game but i think lafc will also be happy to play that game as well and so i think it's just going to be really interesting across the board i feel like i'm setting it up to be nil nil so i look forward to joe's thoughts on this one no, I, I think the atmosphere is going to be great for this game. I'm excited to be there to, to actually watch things unfold. I think it's going to be a great spot for this match to be played. And I think a lot of that will, will help LAFC. They want to be a team that thrives off of that energy. Now, the Union do too. And the Union are perfectly happy to play the underdog, you know, blue-collar Philly kind of role. They love that idea. And so I, I think it also works for them. I, I'm hoping that all of these factors lead to a, a really compelling final where LAFC have the attacking quality, the union are dangerous on the break. Maybe there's some sort of good balance there that gets us into a good spot. But there's enough difference makers in this game. We've run through a lot of them already. On Philly's side, you've got Andre Blake in goal. You have Jose Martinez breaking things up in midfield. You have Daniel Gazdog a little bit higher up in the midfield. And then you have Julian Carranza, who's also been a great addition by this union team. They signed him on loan from Inter-Miami. We don't see intra-league loans very often at all in Major League Soccer. And then they made the deal permanent pretty early on in that stretch. They really like him, and he scored a lot of goals this year. He was a good addition for the union. What this team lacked, at least in part last year for their playoff run, other than having healthy players for their, their conference final against NYCFC, what they lacked was real attacking quality. And Carranza is not as good in my mind as LAFC's Chicho Arango. He's not maybe like a, a top five or seven number nine in Major League Soccer, but he's a good player. And I think he's thrived in this Philly environment. Carranza can be a difference maker in this game as well. Then you flip it over to LAFC. Chiellini could be a difference maker either for, for good or for bad, depending on what his status is coming into this match. Their fullbacks are, are really underrated in how they add value to games. Diego Palacios will also be at the World Cup with Ecuador, and he's been one of the most improved players in all of MLS this year. He's a, a pretty small player, but good left foot, good, good combination play, and good service as well to break the game open. Then you get into midfield. I already mentioned Jose Cifuentes. Kellen Acosta can be a bit of a wild card. And then you get into the attacking line for players that I've already detailed. Like There's so much to this team. I think they will thrive off of that energy uh, on Saturday at Bank of California Stadium if people can get there, uh, you know, other than by car, I guess. I, I don't know, but I, I think this matchup is setting Falcon. up for Falcon. <laughs> yes, getting there by Falcon. My bad, Graham. For I think Falcon. that is going to help uh, this, this match really turn into something, or at least that's my hope. Wonderful stuff. Joe, I'm excited for you to experience that atmosphere at Bank of California Stadium as well. The the Curva equivalent behind the goal, it, it's just it's really special to see in the Capos they have there and they do a really good job. There's going to be shots of Will Ferrell on the big screen occasionally putting his thumbs up <laughs> and probably wearing a cape or something. So it's going to be awesome. Um, Stadium food, Joe. That's oh. that's the, the, the job I'm putting you on. Yeah. I want a report back. Okay. I want an, uh, an essay. 
at least 500 words okay. on the stadium food for MLS Cup, please. Can do. Graham, you and I are doing that that show after MLS Cup, so we can have a full-on stadium food chat. Okay. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, Graham. I'm not paying for any of that because they're going to give us free food in the press box. But I will go around and look and see in the concourse how good I think things look. LAFC are apparently doing uh, 50% off both drinks and food from like 10.30 to 11.30, which is two and a half hours to one and a half hours before kickoff, to try to get people with their butts in their seats before the game starts because they can't park. So I think there will hopefully be longer lines at some of those concession stands, but I'm still going to peek at what the offerings are. Uh, Graham, I'll tell you, the hot dogs when I went were delicious, but I was in hospitality because like Joe, I'm a man of the people. Um, (laughs) Of course, of course. You weren't even there. You you surely weren't even there as media. You were just in hospitality for the sake of it. Correct. Um, Let's uh, let's move on to our very (laughs) specific predictions, our VSPs. Uh, Graham, let's let's start. (laughs) It's my slogan. Graham, let's start with your VSP. So you've already kind of hinted at my VSP by mentioning Will Ferrell. So I think there will be at least 10 celebrity fans showing on the broadcast, yeah. not including Will Ferrell, because obviously that one is is a gimme. Um, I mean, obviously, it could be dependent on if any of them can get parked as the match, as we have already referenced. <laughs> but I think there's a good, a very good chance that this MLS Cup has more star power than any other MLS Cup in history because of its location and because of the nature of uh, LAFC and their, their ownership group. I saw that Owen Wilson was at the conference final. Wow. He was actually the one with the Falcon. So maybe he's uh, part of the logistics solution for, for this match, but maybe he's maybe he's back and he can make up one of one of my 10. So that is that is my VSP for this game. That's good. Owen Wilson's regularly there. It was Exhibit when I was there. That was cool. Um, wow, that's a flashback. <laughs> yeah, not bad, right? Um, Taylor, VSP, please. I will give you one. I first have a question. I've wondered this for most of my life and just never asked. Is it the Millennium Falcon and you people with your accent just call it Falcon? Because I never quite was sure. Uh, it's not a word that I say very often, Taylor. Yes. It's not in my, my... Now I am doubting myself. Is it a Falcon? Falcon? I mean, I think American I accent is, is, is Falcon. So I yeah, always thought the Millennium Falcon, but then the people in Star Wars with their British accents would always be the Millennium Falcon. And I never knew uh, quite what to make of that. And now I'm learning maybe it is indeed Falcon. So, so yeah, I would say, I'd say Falconry. Rather than falconry, yeah, yeah. I think that's where I've got it from. Yeah, I think true. it's down to British Taylor. I think that's what it is. I think yeah. the, the uh, key analysis here, Taylor, is that British accents are different to American ones. Yes, mm. and one's better. This is ours. this oh. is the insights that people come to TSS for, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That is the yeah. good stuff. American English yeah, and also and British don't... English different. Shocker. Mm. Yeah, don't don't come at me when you guys say what is it niche for niche. Yeah, that is, oh that's what who says yeah. that? Okay, niche. I don't I say, say it niche. that way, but niche. That's it. Yeah, niche. Or niche? Come on. Do you say niche? niche? Wait, wait, but that was the English person saying he says it that way, the way that you don't like. (laughs) Taylor, I'm going to ask you again, VSP. (laughs) Uh, Mine is that we're going to get a shot of Andre Blake pointing to his temples. Uh, It it goes in line with what I was saying earlier about him, but I think there will be a moment when he has to remind everybody to calm down, to keep their heads. Usually it's after he has made a ridiculous save. He's going to get up and point at his temples to remind everyone to think, 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 use your heads, be calm. So I think he is going to, we're going to get that shot because I think he is is just such an important player for Philly. Excellent stuff. Joseph Lowry, do we have your VSP, please? Uh, Okay, so I have two. So my first one is there will be some sort of pregame on-field fail because that's exactly what happened in Portland when I was there last year. The giant inflatable trophy was not loving the uh, Cascadia weather. So maybe we'll get something. Maybe it's going to be me dropping in on that trophy if there is one from my Falcon. Maybe that's going to be the case. (laughs) That's that's one. I I hope there's some sort of pregame shenanigans. I'm certain there will be because MLS likes to make a show of these things. 
My other one is that the TV broadcast is going to mention Gareth Bale more than all but, we'll say two, all but two players in this game. Even if he doesn't set foot on the field, I think they're going to somewhat wisely try to, to hype up this game as much as possible. I don't really think you need Gareth Bale in a lot of ways, other than maybe mentioning him a couple of times, to hype up this game because I'm optimistic that it's going to be a really good one. And there are a ton of really excellent players that are going to be on the field even without Gareth Bale, but I think we're going to see Fox loving the Gareth Bale in this match. He's he's surely going to be in your hospitality suite, George, sampling the, the free buffet. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Gareth Bale has or will ever set foot in a press box, Graham. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, Fair enough. Perhaps not. Certainly not a Spanish one. No, definitely not. All right. Uh, my VSP, by the way, I am backing an LAFC win, uh, both teams to score, and Daniel Gazdag to get a goal as well. It's a very functional VSP. It's the one that I instructed my local betting emporium to, um, to uh, <laughs> regard for me. Ryan, yeah. man of the people, do you actually have a bookmaker on speed speed dial, like an actual person who acts as your bookmaker, like they would do, you know, in like the fifties yeah, or something? Yeah, and he writes it in a notebook and he keeps all the cash in his shoe. That's right. Sure. Yeah. Wait, yeah, of course. Ryan, what was yours one more on time? Brand. What? What was yours one more time? Sorry. My VSP. Yeah. Uh, LAFC to win. Both teams to score. Gazdag to score. Okay. Uh, then I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a different way. I will go with uh, Julian Carranza. Julian Carranza will uh, get a very uh, like intelligent goal or an assist in this one. I'm gonna add that in there too. Okay. Uh, and a, and a and a winner, Taylor. Can I get a winner from you? Ah oh, man, yes. that's no? tough. I I hadn't picked one honestly. Uh, okay. I'm going Philly. Why not? Let's go Philly. All right. Uh, Graham. Yeah, Philly. Wow. Go Green Man. Joe? LAFC. I, I would like to side with Philly just because I think they're a fun story and the underdog certainly in this game, but I'm going LAFC in regulation. I'll add that as well. Well, we should add this. The real winner is the friends we make along the way while we're trying to pass <laughs> this game. Um, I can't believe you actually said that. Finally- yeah, he says it like once a week. <laughs> oh, does he? <laughs> I just zone out for that bit. <laughs> most people zone out for most things I say, Graham. That's totally fine. Uh, my final question before I let you guys go. This, this I, I am billing this as potentially the best MLS Cup matchup ever. Do we think that is the case, Joe? I think so. So I looked back at the list of previous MLS Cup finals, and there have been some really good ones. I want to give credit in recent history, at least, because that's where most of my, my knowledge comes from. Taylor can certainly speak to, to older MLS Cups better than I can. But some of those Toronto, Toronto, (laughs) Seattle, whatever. Some of those Toronto, Seattle finals, I think, do deserve some credit. Like, like that was a fun run from those two teams that we've we sort of broken out of. It seems like at this point, but those teams popping up so consistently in finals, back to back years in sixteen and seventeen, and then again in twenty nineteen. Taylor, you and I were were there for that. That wasn't like the craziest game ever, but I think there was something to be said for those. Otherwise, man, it's been 19 years since there's been a best against best MLS Cup final. These two teams are really good. The stories are really good, better than I remember in recent history. I I think this probably is or at least might be the best MLS Cup matchup on paper that we've ever had. Wow. Any movers on that, Taylor? I think uh, I I will forever love, I mean, I was 12 when it happened, but the inaugural MLS Cup when DC United win it late with the Eddie Pope uh, header in the rain. uh, Like it, it was a very dramatic 
game, but I don't know if it was the best game because I don't know if it was particularly great soccer because of those conditions. So I think that one had a ton of drama and and some pretty iconic teams, but I think this one will have iconic teams and also hopefully being Southern California, pretty good weather. So we probably won't get a torrential downpour for this one. So uh, yeah, I think it probably has the makings of what could be. Now we just have to hope it doesn't finish nil-nil. Yeah. In terms of recent MLS Cup finals, I don't think there have been many classics, which yeah. is honestly, I'm going to make the argument for that being a good sign for MLS. So it seems like the first few years of of MLS Cup, and I didn't I didn't really watch MLS in the first few years in the 90s, but it seems like a lot of the MLS Cup games, MLS Cup finals even, were quite chaotic and a lot of, ga- a lot of goals and games going to extra time. And that to me says it was still quite loose in terms of the pressure. And as the title has has gained more importance and as MLS has become bigger, the weight of expectation has grown and the finals have become stodgier as a result. And that and that's how finals are in other competitions around the world. You know, how many classic World Cup finals have there been? How many classic Champions League finals have there, have there been? Not many. So when when finals matter, they, they tend not to be the most entertaining. So that kind of says to me that MLS isn't out of sync in that regard, and these games very much matter. And and and, and Joe, I've got one question uh, for you to, to maybe finish on. I don't want to take us back to Shield versus Cup necessarily, but do you think do, do you see this MLS Cup final as maybe as a, a bit of an exception for you in, in terms of how you you think of MLS Cup? Because we've already established that a big part of why you take the Shield over the Cup is yeah. because the shield is a symbol of which is the best team but you have the two best teams here that yeah. finished on the same point in regular season so are you thinking of this almost as like a regular season final is this maybe a bit different in your mind uh it's different from previous mls cups just because of who's in the final right you mentioned it, it's the best teams in the league i don't really view this as a regular season final i still think it's it is basically an entirely different competition and so much more random but it's a great reward for these two teams they deserve a ton of credit for making it to this this part of the season, to have a chance for LAFC to win two trophies in, in the same year, at least the, the two big trophies in Major League Soccer, or to have a chance if you're the union to redeem yourself after just missing out on the shield, I think is a, a great moment. So I do think about this MLS Cup a little bit differently from past ones, just because it kind of happened to work out that the best teams actually made it to the final. And I love that. I love it too, Joe. I love it too. And I'm very much looking forward to watching this game, as we mm. all are. But for now, we're going to wrap this one up. Graham Rothman, thank you very much for your insight, as always. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Taylor Rockwell, likewise, bud. My pleasure, my friend. And Joe Lowry, enjoy yourself in California, wherever you may leave your automobile. <laughs> thank you, Ryan. <laughs> and listener, thank you very much for joining, on this one. In, uh, joining us on this one, I should say. Enjoy MLS Cup, and we'll catch you next week. But for now... Bye! Oh, you thought we were done. Here's that excerpt of Paul and Sam's new show. The FIFA Men's World Cup starts on November 20th. All eyes here in the States will be on the U.S. men's national team. And if you want to sound and be knowledgeable about them, The Athletic has what you need. In this short clip, you'll learn all about the team and what we should expect from them at this year's tournament. The failure to qualify for the 2018 World Cup, the talk of a potential golden generation, this entire four plus year project of remaking the US men's national team, all of it has led us here to the brink of the World Cup in Qatar. And to one big question, how far should the US be expected to advance? Head coach Greg Berhalter said when he first took over the program in January 2019, that he was on a mission to change the way the world viewed American soccer. The only way to really do that is to make a good run at the World Cup. 
We can talk about the ancillary elements, we can discuss pathways and debate the systems of play, but the only thing that will meaningfully move the needle in a positive direction for the U.S. at home and abroad is making a good run in Qatar. When the U.S. kicks off the World Cup with a Group B match on November 21st against Wales, nothing else will matter. As midfielder Weston McKenney told us, at that point, it won't be about potential, it won't be about 2026. The only thing that will be important is the impression that the U.S. can make on the world over their next three games. For us, it's it's right now. For us, it's to be able to leave our mark and, and you know work towards our goal, you know, the way of changing the way the world views American soccer. And, and I think that's that time is now to be able to do that. I'm Sam Stasekul. And I'm Paul Tenorio. And this is episode five, the final episode of From Cuba to Qatar, remaking the U.S. men's national team. Before we get into the nitty gritty on the individual matchups against Wales, England, and Iran, it's important to provide some context. History shows that we should approach this team and the expectations around it with caution. They are incredibly young, and incredibly young teams typically don't make a ton of noise at World Cups. The U.S. was by far the youngest team to qualify for this World Cup. By average age, they'll likely be the youngest team in Qatar by a huge margin, perhaps as high as two years. The average age of players that appeared in the U.S.'s 14 qualifying matches in 2021 and 2022 was just 24.07. The next youngest team to qualify for Qatar was Ecuador, whose average age of all players used during their 18 qualifying matches came in at 25.81. The U.S.'s starting 11s were even younger. The average age of the lineups used in qualifying was 23.82. The other 31 teams that qualified for the World's Cup averaged a starting 11 age of 27.5 during their qualifying campaigns. That's nearly four years older than the ones that were used by the U.S. World Cup history shows that there is somewhat of a ceiling on young teams. Only one team in the past five World Cups has ever gone as far as the semifinal with an average age younger than 25.9. That was the 2010 German team that reached the semis. Many of those German players returned to the team at the 2014 World Cup. And with those four years of extra seasoning, they went on to win that tournament. For some, these numbers don't matter. There's an old cliche in soccer about age. If you're good enough, you're old enough. It seems that USMNT legend Demarcus Beasley, who played in the first of his four World Cups at age 20 in 2002, subscribes to that idea. I don't care how old they are. I don't care that obviously all of them will be playing for the World Cup for the first time. I have expectations for them to, to do well. I, I think they will. I 100% think they will get out of the group. I think they will silence a lot of critics. But still, that lack of experience in the team can make a big impact, even just in fighting through difficult moments during games. It's one thing for a team to have a couple of young, inexperienced players in a group full of savvy veterans. The older guys can provide stability, know-how, and understanding to help the youngsters along. But it's an entirely different animal to have a whole team full of young players who have never before played in the World Cup. Some of the Americans that will be in Qatar have been under the brightest lights imaginable on the club level. Huge Champions League matches, Barcelona-Real Madrid Clasicos, massive rivalry games in the Premier League, but none of the American biggest players have ever before been to a World Cup. So when the nerves hit and when stuff hits the fan in Qatar, and at one point or another, it almost certainly will, 
there will likely only be one player out of 26 on the roster that the Americans can look to with World Cup experience. That's DeAndre Yedlin, who made the U.S. team in 2014 as a 20-year-old. And that matters. Clint Dempsey told our colleague Chris Camrani about how he leaned on veterans in his first World Cup in 2006, when he was 23. You had guys in there that, you know, that have done it, that, you know, you look to the side and you see them, them being confident gives you confidence, you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, you got to make your own confidence as well. So when you get on the field, no one's holding your hand. You got to go out there and make, make stuff happen, bro. So I knew when I got my chance, man, I was going to go out there and leave everything I had on the field. I was going to try to make something happen, try to get some shots off, take people on. And I wasn't going to look back at a World Cup and say, damn, I wish I'd have done more. So I think these guys have the ability to go out there and do the same thing. But it is tough for them, probably when they look to the left and right and looking around the room, they're the guys that are having to bring the, guy, bring the team up as opposed to having some older guys that are like, you can see that they're confident and they're like, all right, cool, we got this, you know? We've been here before when none of those guys have been in the World Cup. They don't know what it's going to be like. Doesn't mean that they're not going to do well. But when push comes to shove and you're kind of at halftime, they're looking around and, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it does make a difference to have guys that have been in the trenches and know what it's like to be in those tournaments and what they need to do to grind out results. Considering the inexperience of this group of players and the history around young teams at the World Cup, Perhaps the best way to frame this discussion is what would constitute a success for the U.S. Most agree that the expectation is to advance out of a group that includes Wales, England, and Iran. For Beasley, that's the bare minimum. Get out of the group, 100%. You know, I've heard people talk about, oh, you know, this is a uh, like a dry run for 2026. No, they need to perform. Every player we spoke to agreed. All of them echoed the thought that getting out of the group was considered a must. Here's U.S. center back Walker Zimmerman, who is expected to start in Qatar, talking about that baseline. Bar none, it's, you know, we're getting out of the group. That's that's our expectation as a team. And we know, looking back at uh, when we get into these tournaments like Gold Cup, Nations League, and we get into these do or die games, we've done very well. And we have a belief in us that, hey, when, when our back's up against the wall and we have to win a game or else we're done, we've, we've been successful. And so let's channel that mentality and go out and face whoever we can, you know, and take it one game at a time and, and go as far as we can. I don't think there's like a set, you know, oh, if we get to the quarterfinal or whatever it is, that it's going to be successful because we're all competitors. And once we get to that game, we're like, no, we expect to win this game. I don't care who we're playing. We expect to win this game. And so that's why I say, you know, for us, for sure, having to get out of the group uh, is the expectation because we know that once we get into those knockout stages, we're going to have a chance to go out and beat anyone in the world. For U.S. coach Greg Berhalter, the key is about how the team approaches the tournament. They learned lessons during qualifying, not to look too far ahead or to underestimate the challenge. And during those qualifying months, the idea morphed into a game-by-game, window-by-window mentality. In Qatar, they'll try something similar. The U.S. will try to compartmentalize the tournament into two stages. It's just breaking it up into two tournaments, right? You have the, the group stage and you have the knockout stage and you, you have to finish in the top two in the group to earn the right to play in the knockout stage. And I think it's, you know, fair expectation. I think it's a nice challenge to, to say to this group, OK, you know, you should get out of the group. You know, it's a difficult group, right? England, Wales, Iran, um, Wales will be a very difficult game. High level players. Very compact, don't give much up. England, you know, go, probably one of the close to one of the favorites of the World Cup, and then Iran's going to be, a, you know, physical, difficult opponent. But I think we can get out of the group, and then from there, 
to me, it's just about how do you play in these next games, right? How do you play a really good game to advance to the, to the next round? And how do you keep doing that? I, well, it doesn't even matter. Like, it's just, it's one game at a time. You know, I think that's the way you look at it. You don't even look at it as a quarterfinal or semi, it's just one game. How do you get, how do you advance? What you just heard comes from the Athletics New Podcast series, From Cuba to Qatar, Remaking the U.S. Men's National Team. Catch all five parts in the Athletic app, in the New York Times audio app beta, or as part of the Athletic Soccer Show feed, wherever you get your podcasts.